You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. Today on our show, I'm talking with Erica Baum. Erica, thanks so much for being with me today. Thank you for inviting me to talk with you today. Erica, we're talking on the 25th of May in 2022, and we'll talk about some recent shows you've had. Uh, but you're also you're in Manhattan, and um, it's springtime. What's what's happening in your studio at the moment? Is there is there a particular series or something that you're involved with at, at the moment before before we jump into your recent shows? Well, I'm always working on, um, well, I should say over the, over the years I've developed a, a working pattern where I'm working on usually more than one thing at the same time, and I'll have projects that are sort of um, in development that I'm not ready to talk about as well as series that I'm continuing. So I would say that I'm sort of managing several burners on the stove at the same time and, and primarily continuing with the um, most recent series, Patterns which has sort of evolved into um, various other their branches that come off of that project. So is one of the branches um, the Bite in the Ribbon that was uh, a solo show recently in, in Paris? Yes, exactly. Um, that project um, included the um, text-based words that I found in, in patterns as well as something that came from it, which um, is it sort of, as I described, a branch Selvages, where they're they're much more visually black, they're they're shapes and and they're sort of positive and negative form abstract shapes that I was um, drawn to in in my in the midst of my immersion in this sewing patterns. But I'll just describe what the sewing patterns are for a second. Um, yeah, please, yeah, because so, that's so interesting. Because because that, that's what happens. You look at these works and the, and these patterns feel, um, you, you know, almost like it's a. Uh, a code, like another, like another language almost. So I'd love yeah. to hear more about that. Exactly. And, and part of what's fun for me about this is that I'm not a sewer. <laughs> so I look at it sort of as if it's um, – I used to teach English as a second language, so I'm always sort of thinking about language from that sort of oblique way where you're sort of entering into the field and you have this sort of understanding and also misunderstanding at the same time and enjoy that sort of slippage. So – I'm always looking for language in, in a visual field in a found text sort of situation. It has to have, I'm a photographer and I always really want to find texture. And I found these sewing patterns in a thrift shop and I kept them in their unopened in envelopes for a long time thinking maybe there'll be something I can work with here. But I was almost afraid to open them up because I was afraid I, I wouldn't find something. And when I did eventually open them up, I was really excited to see the um, bits of words and the fact that the, the sewing patterns are folded up. And when you unfold them, it's a very gauzy, semi-transparent paper. And so I realized that the fold, you could see layers in the paper and you could see bits of lines and words um, peeking through or, or emerging in the, amidst the layers. And so that added another le level of, of opacity to the experience and I realized there was a lot of stuff material to work with and the language patterns that um, are included in the show that was at Crevecoeur in Paris the Biden titled the Biden the ribbon um, include a lot of works that I did where I'm sort of honing in on words that I found engaging and, and playful as well as the visual um, material that emerges from engaging with the patterns. 
in addition to that, even though it actually was a very small space and there wasn't a lot to, um, there weren't a lot of works in the show, it was two bodies of work. So the, the selvages are coming from the guidebooks that accompany the sewing patterns, and they have very sort of charts with black and white, or, or it's sort of a yellowing paper. Um, so it's black and yellow paper. Um, images of where you're supposed to cut and where the seams would be, and the, the selvage itself is a description that describes a sort of a thick seam, extra seam that you would put in. So anyway, um, just to say that that immersion in the sewing patterns brought me to these other materials, and I, I thought about possible ways to present that as well. That's so interesting, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad we're discussing that in, in more detail because this it is a whole a whole world. As you're saying, you're not a sewer; that wasn't your world yet. Right. You're using, right. You're using that language and that and, and formally and, and also kind of informally, right? Because there's um, you mentioned the word kind of uplift. There's there's a sense of humor to this. There's a sense of of, of levity to to exactly for me in, in exactly. what seems absolutely, and and that's something I think humor has been a, sort of a part of my. Um, it, it's what attracts me often to the words is the, the possibilities of, of playful misunderstandings. And the title of the show, The Bite in the Ribbon, comes from Gertrude Stein in Tender Buttons. And I, it's an iteration from previous shows where I also used um, text from Tender Buttons and Gertrude Stein. Um, the first show I had of Sewing Patterns was called Long Dress at Bureau in New York. And then I had a show in Germany, um, two shows in Germany, one in Berlin and one in Dusseldorf, where it was called A Method of a Cloak. And both of those are titles of poems in, in Tender Buttons from Gertrude Stein. And then it, for Krefker, um, the Biden and the Ribbon is a, a line from a poem in Tender Buttons. It's not the title. Um, but I think that the, um, the reference to Stein is, is important for me because of the affinity I have for the way in which she uses language and the way in which words are almost like physical things that you handle and you savor. And the experience of, of reading a, a Stein poem is, is kind of like the experience of picking up a word and holding it and savoring it and moving from one word to the next. And that sort of um, playful, almost childlike wonderment that you get from that. And so I think that the presentation I have of individual words is, is kind of brings it to that object-like quality. I love that. I, I feel like we should talk a little bit more about Tender Buttons. This is, this is a book uh, of poetry that, that you've then referenced for, for several years now, um, correct? Yes, yes. I mean, I, I, I'm not sure what, what I can say more about that other than the experience of reading Tender Buttons for me. It's always fresh. Even though I've now read it so many times, I've looked through it. I mean, finding the bite in the ribbon was um, the result of reading through it and, and looking and looking and looking and looking for a po possible other thing to use as a title. Every time I read it, it feels fresh. I mean, there are certain poems now that they, there's a rhythm to them that I guess the way I read them is more familiar to me, but it's still, still fresh because she disrupts your understanding and she... Um, confounds your expectations, the titles and the experience of what the bulk of the poem are have a strange matchup or mismatch. There's just so many surprises in the way she, in the way she writes. So it's 
Well, that's what seems very interesting to me, too. I mean, this is a book that you have a very close relationship to, but the book uh, also has a relationship to the the avant-garde, right, which is kind of, um, I don't know what the avant-garde is now, but it's, it's a, it's as you were just saying about her words in particular and how those and, and what that book represents and how it's put together it's also uh, um, a very different a very different lens to to kind of write through to make art through and in some ways to look at life through like as you were saying at the beginning there's like a sense of like you hold each word but it's it's also um i don't know almost seems to be about life itself right that it's that there's something very very precious yeah, it's 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 kind of um, you know to use a more current phrase, it's kind of like a mindfulness, I think, because um, her she had a sort of uh, um, interest in philosophy that is very much about this kind of in the moment and thinking about present presentness and um, thinking of William James, which I cannot really discuss with any um, complexity. <laughs> but um, I think that. Um, I also think about Dada, and, and when you say avant-garde, it's so interesting because to me, the the modernist effort is still present. I feel as though it's still an, an alive thing, and maybe perhaps because of that thing I'm referencing, which is that sort of sense of presence, because we're always in the present. That's all we have, really. So how could it not be still present and important? So true, yeah. That makes it timeless in, in, in many ways. Um, uh, as 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 all those type of kind of mindful uh you know directions are yeah that's that's interesting it does kind of uh doesn't get dated i, I want to ask you also about um what's coming up in in june there's um a, a biennial you're you're preparing for yes it's, i'm really excited about this there's a biennial in nice it's um a curated show called power flower and I will be exhibiting five works, um, three from my Naked Eye series, but a subset of my Naked Eye series called um, The Natural World, or in French, the Nature, Nature Mort. Nature Mort, but I'm not going to try to pronounce it. And two from my Still series, so it'll be five works. And I'm really excited about it. It's just very exciting to have that context. And um, the wor- that work, very particularly... Um, it, it arose, I had an ex- exhibition of this work in Paris in 2018. The project arose out of um, a, another invitation, which was to participate in a show in New York at the New York Public Library that was contemporary artists um, in relation to Anna Atkins. And Anna Ak- there was a show at the New York Public Library of Anna Atkins' work, and she had been, she, I don't know if you're familiar with her work, but she did cyanotypes in the, late, I think it was late 19th century, maybe I may be getting the dates wrong. But anyway, she worked primarily as a scientist documenting seaweed and using cyanotypes as a way to get the best rendition over drawings, which up, to, up until that point of technology, drawings had been the way that people were able to, you know, get, explore a taxonomic relationship to particular investigations. And the works are very, very, very beautiful, and they were compiled in a book, so it's also considered one of the first, or perhaps the first time a photography book emerged. And so they're very inspiring and beautiful, but also rarely seen. They're delicate. And so the New York Public Library exhibited them, and, and simultaneously with that, they had a show of contemporary artists whose work was um, had some um, conversation with that. And in in my case, my contribution were 
my naked eye works where I open up a paperback and fo- or a, a book of, of any sort and photograph um, into the book showing images within the book in the sequence that they're presented but giving you an unfamiliar take on it. And the work I did in relation to this Anna Atkins natural world were images of seaweed and fish and flowers and just the idea of the natural world within a, a, a codified codex setting. So that's how that work and then, emerged. And I, well, that's interesting, you know, because I'm so glad you, you mentioned that. I mean, as a photographer also, uh, Anna Atkins' work, uh, the cyanotypes the you're mentioning are um, – are also about photography itself and and, and exactly. its possibilities, right? It, it, it's something, as you're saying, we don't we don't see much of, and um, yeah, it's very it's very unusual to see that. So, are the are the other works in the show, or the, that's the context you mean, essentially, uh, among other things in the in the biennial? There's there's other um, you mentioned other other photographers or other things happening there. What is the context of the of the Nice Biennial? Well, I think that the Nice Biennial, I don't think it's primarily photography at all, actually. I think it's a lot of other works. There, there are um, a, a number of other artists that I show with in Paris are also in the show, and their works are very different, like painting and very imaginative. And I, I, I haven't read the, um, the latest. There's going to be a catalog for the show, and I, and I was interviewed for the show, and I haven't seen the way in which this is all being brought together. So I can't really speak more specifically about that right now um but it's a it's a um i wish i could go (laughs) that's really what i think Mm. of right now when i think of it we had thought about going but it just didn't work out to be able to go i know it's difficult still traveling everywhere and moving around with with family or not um yeah yeah, i did go to paris for for the bite in the ribbon and it was wonderful and ah, it was the first time i traveled in two years so it was really great yeah, there's something changing, isn't there, about about you know all of us and travel and when that happens and what that means and how and how special that is, um, exactly. especially with, share, exactly. with sharing art and, and, and traveling around the world. Uh, well, exactly. I, I wish you well with those upcoming shows, and um, I, I want to also ask you one more question about what you're reading. I'm always curious what everyone's reading. What are you reading at the moment? I, I love to talk about that. I was recently asked that, so, it's, so it's, I'm ready. <laughs> um, I just finished Hurricane Season by Fernanda Melchor, who's a Mexican writer. And it was a really, really interesting read. It's, it's very brutal. It's, it's, it's un, unrelentingly brutal. There's no redemption. There's no relief. But the way she writes is so powerful and, and so um, very much like a Faulkner-esque kind of experience. You're, you're kind of circling around this brutality and this history and this locality. And um, it, was, it was kind of an immersive literary experience. So I, I found it very compelling, even though it was also, um, you know, you would think it would also be repelling, but it's actually compelling. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, some, sometimes things are... Are, are like that, right? I don't know what that instinct is. Things that are um, that you think are repelling would be compelling, you know. I, I yeah. was recently reading a, a a book by the the novelist Karlova Knausgaard, and his work is a Norwegian writer, but but at, at once both kind of horrifying and compelling. You know, it's a right a strange combination. So, hurricane season that was Fernanda Melchor, correct? Yes. 
Erica, I want to thank you so much for talking to me today. I really appreciate your time. Wish you well with your future shows. And, and again, thank you so much. Thank you so much. You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more.